It's time for JT the Brick. I am JT the Brick, focused black hole, getting in there, ready to rock. I got my A game. I've been there with the Raider Nation in the black hole. I've been in this rivalry. I've seen it in my 24 years here. It's a do or die game. Can't let them win in Vegas. Protect the house. Protect the Legion Stadium. Be ready to go. No half-ass effort. You don't need a PhD. You don't need some expert on CNN or Fox News teaching you about fandom. I just told you. JT the Brick. I'm on a roll right now, so let me go. Hey, JT. Yes. I love you, and I love your show. Thank you. That's what the Raiders are based on. Al Davis, the history of the Raiders, they were always banged up. They were always taped up. They had blood coming through their helmets, and they played. The 11 angry men. I'm not encouraging injuries. I'm encouraging violence. So that's where we are. Raider Nation. Simply put, man up and play football and win a game. And now, that's a hell of a motivational speech. Here's JT the Brick. Out of the gate, JT with you on a big week here as we kick off our draft coverage. Or at least we're going to attempt to all month long to the end of the month on the flagship of the Silver and Black Raider Nation Radio on the Raiders mobile app and on 920 AM here in Vegas. Hope everybody had a fantastic weekend. I did. Went and saw the Red Hot Chili Peppers up close where I like to be. It was fantastic. Had a great time at Allegiant Stadium. Fabulous time. And that was really cool. So I had a good weekend. A lot of fun. Hope you had a better weekend than me. Uh, weather was great. I thought the weather was warm. It, gave, it teased us a little bit of what Vegas used to be. Right? What Vegas used to be when we got to March into the beginning of April. 90 degrees, whatever it was. Not this weekend. Still cool. I'm looking at the wind today, wild, windy day. Can't play golf in this. At least I wouldn't, and it's Masters week. One of my favorite weeks of the year. I love the Masters. I love the Masters. We'll be talking about it throughout the week here. And we got the draft, and I have a whole bunch of mock drafts in front of me, and I spent a lot of today and Sunday lining up mock draft guests over the next couple of weeks. And I'd like to begin today with what I want to hear from you as you participate in the show. I'm so lucky and blessed to have you in the Raider Nation on a national level now because this show is heard widely, downloaded big on the Raider Nation app that you can get at the Raiders mobile device there on your phone. So wherever you are in the Raider Nation, wherever you are, come on in with the draft and let's focus on two things. Two things. Realistic expectations. My expectations are through the roof. Absolutely through the roof for this draft. Uh, one of the biggest ones that I can remember because of the carnage of what's happened in previous drafts since the Raiders have come to Las Vegas with well intentions, good people selecting players that they thought were right, and there was carnage in regards to the roster. Period. No other way to spin it, nor I would. Even you guys who think I spin for a living, I could care less. It's been carnage. Carnage of what's happened to this personnel department over the years with fine people working behind the scenes doing their job trying to figure out who should be the new players via the draft and it hasn't worked out hasn't worked out at all matter of fact it's been very ugly really ugly which has set the organization back from a player personnel perspective so I think they swung big bringing in Dave Ziegler who he rebuilt this scouting department and he's going to do this and get this right I mean, he should be able to get it right better than the guys before him because the gentlemen before him had good intentions. They just swung and missed on several first-round picks and high-profile players, and that's why we're here. That's why we're here today with this roster turnover. 
And I think it was very important to turn over the roster last season in season, even though you wanted to win the Super Bowl and you wanted to go from 10 wins to 14. Wasn't going to happen with this roster. I told you this. They have told you this. You're aware of this. It wasn't luck that they won 10 games and went to the playoffs two years ago. They were very fortunate. Very fortunate. And they made the playoffs. They were one and done. They didn't win a playoff game. And the gentleman who came in to take over the team looked at the roster and said, no. No, no, no. Okay? We're not going with this roster. They wouldn't have agreed to their job to be the GM and head coach if they had to stick with this roster. They got rid of the star tight end. They got rid of the face of the franchise, the quarterback. They got rid of a lot of players on both sides of the ball because their inability to be available, to be healthy, or their inability to take their game to the next level, which was really the whole key to what the Patriot way was for all the Super Bowls, the six of them. Josh McDaniels was in on all of them. Dave was in for a few of them. And they just watched roster development under Belichick do your job. Do your job and become a better football player due to the coaching. Now, the problem with the Patriots is a lot of their coordinators have gone on to become head coaches and they haven't succeeded. Pretty much all of them. And we're hoping, I'm hoping that Josh McDaniels turns the corner on that and starts winning games and sets up this team for multiple runs at deep playoff runs. That's what they're trying to do. You see, they're not hiding that from you. They're not even hiding it from the triggered fans of the Raider Nation that can't get up in the morning and they can't just start the day positive with these guys trying to fix it. Some won't just give them a chance. And as I told you when they got hired, their goal is to fix this and make it relevant for years. Dave Ziegler often references the Green Bay Packers, the Baltimore Ravens. He's competing against Kansas City to try to compete against these teams and to have consistency over a long period of time. And if you're going to do that, you cannot turn the roster over at the level that they've turned it over. And often I quote and I talk about other people on our team here, including Vinny Bonsignor, who put out a very interesting tweet, made a lot of sense to me in regards to how much turnover there's been. Okay, if you look at what's happening here with the Raiders over the last couple of years, Vinny tweeted two days ago the Raiders have added 16 new players through free agency so far, and they'll add 12-plus through the draft and undrafted free agents. Moving forward, they have to get away from the entirely too high roster-changing numbers over the season. And I would agree with that. There's been too many roster changes. Why? Because they're cleaning up the bad draft picks of the past. You really think that Dave Ziegler wanted to bring in 16 new guys? He's bringing in 16 new guys to find five or six who can stick. Five or six that can develop and stick and be here and be open to contract extensions if they play their ass off this year under a microscope at Allegiant Stadium and on the road in one of the toughest divisions in football. And then by not giving them more than a year, then they can ever reward those players who prove that they can play Maybe it's Robert Spillane at linebacker. Maybe it's Marcus Epps at safety. And they'll reward those players and say, you're Raiders. You're exactly what we saw on tape. You're the reason why we brought you in on a one-year deal or a two-year deal, short-term deal, and you're going to be here for a while. The only way you can do that is you've got to bring bodies in here. And they didn't want to spend 60, 80, 90 million guaranteed money on players, defensive tackles, and star celebrity players because the roster's not ready for that yet. So the roster had a whole bunch of new players coming in. And as I dove deep into this over the last couple of weeks, I get it. 
I understand this. You don't have to agree with me. Again, I will say this again. I could give a crap if you've ever agreed with me. I just want you to respect my opinions and give me the opportunity to hear your opinions. They've done a roster purge. They have deconstructed the roster from last year in progress and got rid of the players that they don't believe are the foundation for this organization going forward. The foundation of the players going forward are Max Crosby, Devontae Adams. Okay, you look at some of the start. Jacoby Myers is a foundational player taken from the Patriots for a reason. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, depending on what they do at the quarterback position, seems to be a foundation piece. And the great Josh Jacobs, who's coming off a spectacular season. Other than that, they don't have a player. They don't have a lot of players that they can't move on from, but also they can reward them if they prove that those are the players that they think. Look, uh, Spillane's a good example. The linebacker, they saw something on Christmas Eve when he tackled the Raiders 12 times in that Franco Harris tribute game. And they thought enough of him and were impressed enough. And they looked at the tape and scouted him and said, we'd like to bring him in here. He could fit. He's definitely going to be one of our 11 on defense. I like that. That's what they did. They're trying to find a developing up-and-coming player from a team that has a core defense in the Steelers and give him an opportunity here. But we saw that with Nick Witkowski and Corey Littleton. I, I, I did the screenshot here. I can't believe this when I saw the Raiders' dead cap money. In, the, in regards to dead cap hits this upcoming season, Alex Leatherwood, $3.9 million. Kenyon Drake, $4.4 million. Carl Nassib, $4.95 million. Derek Carr, $5.625 million. And if we had a drum roll, I'd play it here. Corey Littleton, $9.9 million for Corey Littleton. The Nick Witkowski, Corey Littleton era was a disaster for this organization. Good guys brought in for the right reasons, and they were awful. They didn't play at an NFL level, and that cost the Raiders a lot. They spent a ton of money on those guys, and they purged them out. They're gone. So they got to make sure they don't do this with this group that they just brought in. They can't do that, and with the draft picks that don't cost as much money, except the high pick, the first pick, or the second pick, that they are very prudent with those moves, and they make really solid moves going forward with the budget of this team. I mean, Corey Littleton, a $10 million cap hit in 2023? Oh, my God. I remember when he was brought in. Seemed like a good player. There was a lot of good tape with him with the Rams. Most of it was because of Aaron Donald blowing up the middle of the field and Aaron Donald playing and being double and triple teamed, and Littleton was able to make plays. The Raiders don't have that player at defensive tackle. As I've often said, the Jelly Ellis era has to come to an end around here. We like Jelly Ellis. We got to get better players than Jelly Ellis and some of the other guys, Cleve Farrell, who were here. We need guys who are going to pop and hit and be consistent great players and develop into Pro Bowl talent. That is what Dave Ziegler needs to do. He has to do this. I think he's the guy to do it. I think he's very thorough and very detailed from what I've heard and what I've talked to him about in the scouting process with the scouting department. I was on a podcast Sunday. Yesterday, I went into the studio. Steph McKenzie hosts a podcast with her partner. It's a female Raiders podcast. It was very good. I was on for 40 minutes. I think we're going to play it on Friday, a chunk of it, because I enjoyed it. I was talking to these two ladies about the Raiders And we were talking about the players that missed and what has to happen along the way. And all of the talent that has been brought in 
since the first ever Raiders draft pick in Las Vegas, Henry Ruggs III. Jonathan Abram, Cleland Farrell, all the players that were signed like Carl Nassib, other players, Corey Littleton along the way. It is a graveyard of unexpected talent that didn't live up to the potential. And you wonder why this is a six-win roster that lost five double-digit leads in the second half, which has never been done before. So they got a reboot. And I thought they did a very good job bringing in a lot of competition. I don't know who's going to start, but I highlighted a few of them. DeAndre Carter is one of the best special teams players in the league. He'll make the team at wide receiver. Got to look more into the tape of which I'm accumulating of Duke Shelley at cornerback and David Long Jr. One of them has a chance to start. Okay, when you look at the depth of certain positions here, Marcus Epps at safety is a player. Jaquan Johnson, another opportunity to play. There's some guys here. But look, you know, we're not talking about Rod Woodson walking through this door in free agency. We're not talking about Bill Romanowski with stuff still left in the tank. We're not talking about recognizable players here. But they're bodies who are going to be competing to make this team and play at this team at at a high level, at a much higher level, and be much more accountable. Not that the other coaches weren't accountable. They were really intense taskmasters. John Cruden was one of the most intense people I've ever been around. Okay, he ran a pretty tight ship. Players, coach, whatever you want to describe Coach Gruden as. Okay, different head coaches have different philosophies. Everybody was brought in for the right reasons. Rich Basaccia had a different way to be the head coach. Josh McDaniels uh, trying this time around to do it better than he did in Denver. You need players. And this team's got to get better players. So that's it. We kick off our draft coverage here. 702-365-9200. I have mock drafts. I got about eight or nine of them in front of me. I'm waiting for our lads to send me their big manual I get every year. That's coming every day. And I'm looking around. Here's one thing that jumped out at me today. If you go to cbssports.com, they have a nice setup for mock drafts. They have all their people on in-house that do mock drafts. And Ryan Wilson and Chris Trapasso both had their mock drafts up today. So I clicked it on. And Ryan Wilson has C.J. Stroud going number one to Carolina, Bryce Young going number two, to Houston. I agree with that. Then they have Anthony Richardson going three to the Titans as the Titans trade up with Arizona. And then Ryan Wilson had the Raiders trade up to number four to get Ohio State junior offensive tackle Paris Johnson Jr. I said, whoa, wait a second. I know who that player is and he's a good player, but why is Wilson having the Raiders trade up from seven to four to go get him. I, I would think he'd be there at seven. And then I, I cl- clicked on Chris Trapasso's uh, mock draft, and he has the Raiders at number seven, taking Paris Johnson Jr., the offensive tackle I just mentioned from Ohio State. That was a bit of a red flag to me. I said, these are two guys that you know, I'm hoping to get them on the air, and they got the same player going from Ohio State just after the Raiders went to Ohio State. What do they know? What are they hearing on the ground at the Ohio State that makes the Raiders want to believe that they're going to trade up or stay there and get the same player? The Las Vegas Raiders coming off a 6-11 and season have 12 picks in the draft. They have the number 7 overall pick in the first round. They have the number 38 pick in the second round. Round 3, they have number 70 and 100. And then round 4, a good pick, 109. So for the first you know, four rounds... They have five picks through 109. 
They can do some damage there. In the fifth round, they have the 141st and 174. Those are good picks. And then in the sixth round, they have two picks, 204 and 214. And in the seventh round, they have 220 and 221. So I don't know what they're going to do with the sixth and seventh round picks. I don't know. They, they got a lot of holes on defense. Maybe they can package those picks and trade up and, and try to go use that. But, you know, those are some of the mock drafts. Bucky Brooks, who we'll have on. Uh, Bucky's also moonlighting and doing some Raiders work. At number seven, uh, he has Christian Gonzalez, the cornerback of Oregon. There are other drafts that have uh, Devin Witherspoon going from Illinois. My wife's alma mater. Speaking of my wife, happy birthday to my wife today. My much better half, uh, the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Happy birthday to my wife today, who would love to see Devin Witherspoon come because she's fighting Illini. I watched every one of his games, every single one, because we watch every single Illinois game here. So I'll have a lot to say on him as we get closer to the draft on that. So mock drafts are going to be important here. I think I do a pretty good job at keeping it basic. I don't care about your sixth-round pick. I don't. I don't care who you think the Raiders should take in the fifth round. I do not care. I do, whoever the Raiders want in the fifth round is not going to be there. It's going to be gone. Let's talk about the Raiders' first couple of picks and where you believe that the whole draft is going to go. You believe that it's going to be heavy defense or heavy quarterback. And Will Levis is in the building today, the Kentucky quarterback, so they're having a private visit with him. And that was talked about by Albert Breer today. And could the Raiders take a quarterback? Hell yeah, they could. And then the other big story is Jalen Carter. The Georgia defensive tackle, the junior, who clearly has had issues off the field, but he could be a generational talent. He is comparable. His comparable is to Aaron Donald. When Aaron Donald came out of pit and went, came into this league, he turned out to be a dominant player with the Rams organization, one of the greatest to ever play. Jalen Carter is cut from that mold, but he has some problems, off-field issues that have to be examined carefully. I think that is a very risky move for the Raiders here, but... It could change the Raiders' defense for a long time if they have him in the middle there. So it's going to be intriguing. I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of intrigue in this draft as we open it up. By the way, the monologue is brought to you by PT's Best Happy Hour in Town. I went to the Vegas Golden Knight watch party that they had on Friday over at the SG Bar. Tremendous turnout. Great job. The SG, part of the umbrella of all the properties under Golden Entertainment. PT's fuels the monologue. And then the second big topic, which I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about today, is women's basketball. You say, what? Yeah, I do a sports talk show. And the biggest story in sports today is not the draft. It's two female college basketball players and the ability to taunt or celebrate or trash talk. And it's a massive topic going forward, and I want to get into it today. If you watch the women's national championship game between LSU and Caitlin Clark in Iowa, you saw Angel Reese at the end do the John Cena wrestling thing where you can't see me. She put her hand in front of her face and looked like at one point she was tracking down a Carter to kind of make the point clear that she believes she's the best player in college basketball. No, LSU won the title. And as soon as that happened, a bunch of men, mostly white men, went on Twitter and called her classless. And I was on the radio live last night when it happened. And I'll talk about it next hour more. I'm very proud of what I can do with live radio when things happen live. I don't need a breakfast bar and, you know, some bagels and locks and a producer to get my ear. I can do this on my own. It's not hard. And I knew as soon as I saw Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool Sports, said, classless, she's a piece of blank. I said, okay, here we go. 
Then Al Horford's wife jumped in defending the LSU player. And then everybody went back. Keith Oberman went off the rails. Keith Oberman went off the rails. Shaq came over the top rope. Shaq went to LSU uh, defending Angel, the Bayou Barbie. And she was a little bit cocky. So I'll give you my opinion throughout the show. It's trash talking. LSU won. Uh, And no one thought LSU would win because South Carolina was the best team. And at the end of the game, yeah, she was a bit aggressive, but it was at the end of the game. Does anybody remember Serena Williams and how she would scream at the umpires and some of her poor sportsmanship in her career? Arguably the greatest tennis player of all time. I give athletes the benefit of the doubt when they're in the middle of winning a championship if they get a little bit cocky, if they get a little bit arrogant. Aaron Donald, how come it was okay for Aaron Donald, an African-American football player, when he tackled Joe Burrow to end the Super Bowl game and he stood up and he pointed to his ring finger? Okay, but an African-American LSU basketball player points to her ring right at Caitlin Clark and the internet breaks. Why is that? And it's an interesting topic for me because I did it last night. I did the show last night. Phones were packed. Everybody had an opinion on it because it's a level of trash talking now that's going to be a copycat league. Little league boys and girls are now bat flipping. And young, young girl basketball players in middle school and junior high school now, when they hit a three, Like Steph Curry, they're going to point to their ring finger. And they're going to do that shade thing across their face because the best players did it. Caitlin Clark did it against Louisville for Iowa, and we just saw LSU do it. It's a really good topic that's really deep because it's the way we treat men or we don't treat men the same way we treat women. We're harder, we're more outraged by women showing some force of aggression or trash talking. And I find that very interesting. And I think you do, too, because it's something we should all be able to talk about. If you're sitting at a bar with your buddies talking sports, you better get your head around this topic. It's a big one. It's bigger than Major League Baseball's opening weekend. And the women finally got some notoriety. There's been some great women basketball teams over the decades. Pat Summit in Tennessee, Gino Auriemma in UConn. And yesterday, LSU's win over Iowa got a lot of eyeballs on it, a lot. And it was a really compelling topic there, and that could happen. That could happen in sports where something that we're not expecting ends up going viral. And my big takeaway from what happened last night is there was a bunch of white men who went on Twitter and couldn't handle a black girl trash talking and celebrating a victory. They lost their mind. Now, I don't call that classless, but a lot of people did. They used the word thug. I use the word thug all the time, all the time. I don't think I've ever used it when referencing a female athlete. I do it all the time with guys. A thug is just someone who intimidates someone, has rude and crude behavior. Do I think Angel Reese had rude and crude behavior? No, she didn't throw a punch. You know, she wasn't on the court dropping profanity. You know who's rude and crude? Guy by the name of Draymond Green. Every time I turn on a Draymond Green game, he's screaming at the refs, dropping profanity, tackling someone under the rim. That, to me, is different than what happened with Angel Reese and what went down. So that's where we are. Ready to roll. Hope everybody has a good week here. Again, my ears were ringing from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. and Just another great memory that I had at Allegiant Stadium. Fantastic weekend as we get going. All right, let's begin with NorCal Raider. He'll start us off as we begin the month of April. What's happening? Go ahead. Hey, how you doing? Good. What's um, happening? Um, I was kind of just going over things. Um. If the Raiders plan not to be in this position of a losing season or, or 500 season, I think they they should go ahead and uh, draft Anthony Richardson. 
since we have um, Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm not saying that Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo is a bridge quarterback. He's probably he can probably sustain the ship and maybe play two three years and um, see where it goes from there. But I just think of it as is our offense seems more balanced than our defense, and one player is not going to change the whole dynamic. So we pick up Jalen Carter. I don't want a project because. Mm-hmm. He's got things going on, and, and and I want the city of Vegas to have a, you know, you know, I don't want any issues like we had with uh, Damon Arnett and stuff like that. So I don't mm-hmm. want to chance that. So I think um, Anthony Richardson will be a perfect, perfect fit, especially you have Jimmy Garoppolo as a bridge for for the meantime, and um, and and I guess um, and then next year we could focus our first round picks on more defense and more assets. Yeah, I don't agree with you, but I appreciate your call. Thank you. I, I don't agree. I think the Raiders can win all these games. They're not going to go undefeated. They might not make the playoffs. They might not win 10 games. I think they'll be in every game. They should be. They should be in every game. They're going to completely retool this defense with four starters. And they already brought in two to three new starters on defense, two to three, with the three or four they already have. So I'm doing the math here. You have 11 players on defense. You have depth players. But I think the Raider defense improved in the offseason a little bit. They brought in a lot of guys, a lot of guys. But I think they're going to hit it big in the draft. I do. I think they're going to have a pretty good draft here. And look, you might be right on Anthony Richardson. Every mock draft I'm seeing, half of them have the Raiders taking a quarterback and parking him. And, you know, if the Raiders do that, okay. But then they didn't need Jimmy Garoppolo. That's just my opinion. You know, my opinion is if you're going to get Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, you should have kept Jared Stidham and just let Stidham mentor him. He knows the playbook better than anybody. He knew it better than Carr. And just have him do it and then get that player in in week five, six, or seven and let them play the rest of their lives. Jimmy Garoppolo is a heck of a player. And Jimmy Garoppolo can win. And Jimmy Garoppolo ain't here to be a bridge anything. He's not going to be a bridge. If they decide to go in a different direction after a year, it's not going to be Jimmy's choice. Jimmy wants to be a star in this league. He wants to win a championship. So I find this all interesting, but you could be right. I am not here to tell you I have the answer for the Raiders in the draft. And I'm going to turn over every rock I see and try to get your opinions on this. No doubt about it. Reggie in North Las Vegas. How you been, Reg? Go ahead. Reggie in North Las Vegas, if you're there. Okay, we'll get out to Robert in Portland. Robert, thanks for waiting. You're up next. Appreciate you. Yeah, hey, Rick. Uh, I think that um, Dewan Jones, you know, he's ranked 36th of all of the guys. He's a right tackle mm-hmm. in Ohio State. I think Tyree Wilson's going number seven. I think uh, Dewan's going to go to the Raiders at 38 if they don't do a, down, a trade down. But I think that's what they should do. Tyree is a lot like Garrett when he came out at Texas A&M. Damn good defensive end, and he's very strong. Even though, he, But he's a big guy. He doesn't bend that well, but I think he's not another Pharrell. Yeah, but you want, a, you, you want a defensive player similar to an edge rusher when they have Max Crosby and they need offen, offensive line help or they potentially need a corner. Uh, why are you not interested in the cornerback position well, that's haunted Carter. this team? I wanted Carter, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just like you did early, but all this stuff that's happened with him, they need him a lot more because we haven't had a guy like that since Russell. Mm-hmm. But I don't think uh, Mark's going to approve it. I really don't. And I don't. And I think uh, if you look at the top, you know, top defensive tackles, there's Carter's number one. Yeah. You've got Wilson's has really moved up the ladder. He's originally ranked. ranked 11th or 12th in the draft. Now he's moving up, and it's because he's uh, he's so damn big. But I agree with you that you already got Caldwell Jones, but Caldwell's good against the run. This kid, he's he's good as an edge and a run, both. 
and they, they may move Caldwell in a trade. I have no idea. I'm just saying what I feel, and I think they need a defensive guy at number seven. I'd prefer Carter, but I think Wilson's going to be the guy. I just think Ziegler is not going to roll the dice with Carter, and I think Dewan Jones is a true mm. right tackle, and he's the fourth-rated tackle. Uh, Paris Johnson's a left tackle. We don't need another one. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the call. You meant Chandler Jones. I don't think you meant Caldwell Jones, if I'm wrong on that. But, look, again, I think that defensive tackle, not edge, defensive tackle, the interior defensive line has Jalen Carter, one of the most talented players not only in this draft but to come out since Aaron Donald. He is an elite player. So if they do all their work on him, all of that in his personal life, they're not going to know everything. You just not. There's going to be a risk there that you won't believe. So there's some powerful men up front who are very athletic and what they can do there. But we'll see. And middle round guys who play defensive tackle are in the middle round for a reason. They're not absolute dominant players that can change the fortunes of a franchise. Carter is. Carter can do that. So this draft has the cornerbacks are fantastic. The tight ends are deep. There are some good edge rushers, no, no doubt about it. Tyree Wilson and Will Anderson are the top two ones. Uh, quarterback is very interesting because Young Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, and Hendon Hooker, including Hendon Hooker, are going to go early, very early. And then there's not too many tackles, and the Raiders could use the right tackle. So I just want to get your opinion. I appreciate what you have to say. Again, we could agree to disagree as we go over this. I want to talk about the women who got after it in that game. There should be some moms driving around or some girl dads who can compete with that topic and give me an opinion on what happened with Angel Reese and Caitlin. I thought that these were two great basketball players, and it got a little bit out of control with the taunting, but it did wonders for the sport of women's college basketball. Behind her back dribble, she does. Three, two, one. Ball game is over. Your Fighting Tigers are national champions in year number two of the Kim Mulkey era. 102-85, the final. Tiger fans everywhere, celebrate your LSU Tigers. It's LSU Radio on the call on Westwood 1 NCAA Radio 2 for all that, and Kim Mulkey ends up getting it done in LSU outs Iowa and the game got chippy down the stretch and I'm leading with this because I was on last night and it was a massive topic and everybody wanted to talk about it and we should talk about it here in Vegas because it's the difference between men and female male and female behavior in sports and how we treat it differently and we treat it completely differently uh, the men were used to it when the women do it we're horrified. And a lot of people use the word classless. There's a lot of people online, I'll go through some of the names, who might regret the tweet they put out when this was going down, or maybe they're confident with it. I don't know, but I can just tell you this. Uh, we don't talk enough about women's athletics. I should talk more. We have a great basketball team, a championship team here in town, the Las Vegas Aces. And I don't watch it enough to tell you if there's a lot of trash talking. But in that last game, LSU, you could tell, was sick and tired of Caitlin Clark. Was probably the best player in America. She's the first male or female to have a 40-point triple-double in the NCAA tournament. Angel Reese had enough of it. She thought she was a better player. She won the ring. She won the championship. 
and she started going off on Caitlin Clark. But I don't, I don't, I'm not saying it was harmless. I think I was led to believe more so last night and when I went to bed on it that she was taunting. But I think that takes away from the biggest story from that game is the officiating was some of the worst officiating that I've ever seen. The controversy at the end of the women's game is really just covering up the fact that it may have been the worst officiated championship game ever. The best team absolutely won, but it was awful. It was absolutely terrible officiating. So I just know that young girls are going to go out in front of their houses, play on their home basketball court, and they're going to copy what these young girls did, what they do. They shot like Steph Curry. Caitlin Clark took these long-range threes and made a lot of them. And then the, the, the Bayou Barbie, uh, who won the, she was the most outstanding player, she ended up pointing at her ring finger to say she won. So the little girls who go to these you know, middle schools here in town are going to go to their next practice, and they're going to do the same thing and do the same exact thing. It's a copycat world that we live in. And for some of the girl dads out there and the moms who are listening, how do you feel about this? Was that, what was that level for you? If you watched the game of trash talking, was it mild? Was it over the top as a white man in my fifties? I'm not going to tweet at a 20 year old black woman and say classless. Are you out of your mind? (laughs) I got enough to worry about staying on the radio in this business. There are a lot of white men in their 50s and 60s who were saying that a young 20-year-old black girl was classless as she won a championship. I'm not going there because I don't think she was classless. I just thought she was energetic because she was winning. There was euphoria going on. Now, why do most girls not do that? Most girls don't do that because they don't have the bravado. They're not winning a championship. They're not beating a player that is one of the best players out there. So I can't put myself in her position for obvious reasons. If you're a young girl listening or a mom or a girl dad, uh, that should be a topic that you're interested in because, man, that was a big story last night. Absolutely massive story. 702-365-9200. Tom Brennan's going to join us a little bit later in the show, a former NCAA head coach for a long time at Yale. He did a great job over in Vermont. I'll talk to him about this and get his opinions on it. Harry Ruiz the Latino voice of the silver and black at the top of the hour and the Raiders direction in this off season. And I'll still stay on this women's college basketball topic. Want to hear from you as we're right outside the draft and the Raiders have a big pick. What do you think should be the overall theme of this draft offense, defense, a combination, all defense, the way I see it backup quarterback or not, where do you want to use the fresh powder and go after very important draft for the Raiders. One of the most important I remember. Uh, Mosin Henderson, thanks for waiting. You're up next. What's happening? Hey, thanks very much. You know, I, I moved out here to Henderson from Northern California following the Raiders in 19, and I tried to get in touch with you last week. Um, I'm from a little town called Linden, California, mm-hmm. where where your boy Judge is from. Oh, wow. And uh, my brother-in-law actually gave him the first scouting report. He was a scout for the Yankees out of high school and said he was just He's just a skinny little guy that's got nothing. He needs to go bulk up a little bit. And mm-hmm. Boy, did he bulk up, man. Yeah. He's awesome. Um, but uh, as far as the Raiders go, you know, tell me a little bit about the offensive line. You know, mm-hmm. we have the number one rusher in the league. Josh right. Jacobs is great, but he's the number one rusher in the league. You don't get that without having a really good offensive line. Yeah, it's not a really so good offensive said, line. It's not a really good offensive line. It's average at best. Uh, the right tackle is Jermaine Illuminor. He's not a great player. They drafted Thayer Mumford. 
he can play in this league. Brandon Parker's coming back. They have Andre James at center. Dylan Parham, which was their first pick in the draft last year in the third round, he's going to stick and start, most likely at left guard. And they got Colt Miller, who I thought should have been a pro bowler by now. We've been waiting on him. He's a very good player to play at the elite level, so he'll be a pro bowler. So I think they're an average offensive line. So we only need one guy then, really. Yeah, I mean. not that bad. It's not bad. No, I, I think you make a good point. When you bring in, they have a lot of backups. When you bring in Mumford and you have Alex Bars and players who are backups, it's good. It'd be nice to have a star. If they had a star right tackle or a star right guard who was an elite player, then all of a sudden you'd be looking at this. But you made a good point when you started off your phone call. Thank you. That they led the league in rushing. Josh Jacobs did. A lot of those holes were there because the offensive line did a pretty good job. And that's one of the things I'm very optimistic about going forward. I'm very optimistic about Josh Jacobs. It's really changed my perspective on the upside of this team. I think this team now for Jimmy Garoppolo has a star running back in the prime of his career that they can lean on him. They can lean on him a little bit more than expected, and that could take some of the heat off of Jimmy G. Not that he's looking to escape the heat. He's not looking to escape the heat, but Jimmy Garoppolo now on third and two might not have to find Devontae. Josh can get that if the offensive line plays better. So I think the offensive line's got to feel pretty good about themselves. I spent some time this offseason with Brandon Parker. He's a great kid, fantastic, rehabbed, and he's very active with the organization and the alumni. They should be walking around with a pep in this step. I thought they did a pretty good job. They, they did a good job last year when they got criticized. I remember what it was like coming out of the preseason last year. Raiders came out of the preseason. They had a great preseason. It was pretty much perfect. They won their games. They were healthy but they didn't have an offensive line and they were okay going forward with what they had. Remember they had seven starters. They were rotating in guys, which is something I'm not accustomed to. And hopefully we don't have to do that. It was a necessity for them to do that. It was a necessity. Now it's not a necessity. And if they're able to get a very good player and they're able to do that, the Raiders aren't done yet. You know, there's still some offensive linemen out there in free agency. There's some players that are going to get cut down. Where I swung and missed last year was I thought at the end of cutdowns, you take these rosters from 90 to 53, and at the end of cutdowns, all of a sudden, boom, some offensive lineman gets cut from a team because the team has a better offensive line than the Raiders. And they have depth, and they cut one of their players who was a starter, and they let another player cheaper come in and start. Well, I thought the Raiders would grab one of those guys and start him at right tackle. And they didn't do that. I think it had a lot to do with the economics as Dave Ziegler was looking at the roster and the money spent and some of the players who he knew he was going to get rid of and he wasn't able to go out and do that. Maybe this year I'm right and Dave's able to get an offensive lineman who's played in the league six or seven years and he could fit in at right guard or right tackle and start on opening day. I thought that was going to happen last year and it didn't happen. So the Raiders have plenty of draft picks, but a, you know, an offensive lineman like Thayer Mumford in the seventh round can contribute especially if they come from Ohio State, but they're not going to be dominant in their first year. And then the Raiders two years ago took Alex Leatherwood to be you know, the face of that offensive line with Colt Miller, and that was a disastrous pick, a devastating pick. You add in Damon Arnett, you throw in Cleland Farrell, who never deserved to be the fourth pick overall. You start throwing in Jonathan Abram, who was tremendously flawed in the passing game. The Raiders had a lot of swing and miss with first-round picks. They can't do that again. The top picks that come in here have to be assassins on defense. They have to be great players. 
702-365-9200. I got a two-hour show every day. I hope to hear from people for two hours every day. And I go to work at night again. And tonight I'll be on for the national championship game. I'm excited about that. We're waiting on Tom Brennan about the game last night, which I want to stay with. Also, Harry Ruiz at the top of the hour and your phone calls. We're brought to you by Modelo. I have a bucket of Modelo's on Friday. Modelo, the fighting spirit of the Raider Nation. So this was for the girls that look like me. That's going to speak up on what they, they believe in. It's unapologetically you. And that's what I did it for tonight. This was for the more than, it was bigger than me tonight. It was bigger than me. Twitter is going to go in a rage every time. And, I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I feel like I've grown, helped grow women's basketball this year. I'm super happy and excited. So I'm looking forward to celebrating in the next season. Yeah, that's LSU Tigers woman basketball star Angel Reese. She won the national championship and the most outstanding player at the women's Final Four last night. It's a big topic. Tom Brennan kind enough to join us. Former head coach at Vermont, uh, former head coach at Yale, played at Georgia. Coach, it's been a while. Good to talk to you on such a big topic today. We're getting a little controversy about a little trash talking between two of the female athletes last night. How'd you see it? I'll tell you what, my boy. Uh, uh, Miss Monkey is certainly an acquired taste. There is no doubt, no doubt about that. It's like she called Elton John and said, you know, I'm coaching in the finals tonight. How would you dress? <laughs> it was crazy. It's, incre- it's just crazy. And then all the trash talking and everybody raising hell. I mean, it was really, uh, uh, it was, it was interesting. It was totally interesting, but, uh, I didn't realize it was that much smack talk in the, in the women's game. Good Lord. Yeah, and, Coach, I think it's good for the sport in a way. It's moving the needle. We're talking about it. It's a lead story here because the, Caitlin Clark's a brilliant player, and then the player of the Final Four who wins the title is kind of you know rub, putting her hand in her face and kind of, kind of looking at her and trying to make eye contact with her. And I think it's going to get people to talk about it more because the two stars on both those teams were electric. They were dominant throughout the tournament. And without a doubt. And, and you think about it, JT, coming back next year will be uh, Beckers from, uh, from UConn, and she and, uh, mm-hmm. she and Caitlin Clark are, are kind of the same person. I mean, Caitlin Clark has taken over this year, of course, but, uh, but that was Paige Beckers the last two years. And, and so uh, next year, if, those, uh, you know, if they can get it going where they, they form a, a rivalry, it'll, be, it'll really be unbelievable. But it's just taken off JT, like that, like almost overnight. And I think television has a great deal to do with it. Uh, you know, the – uh, you know, South Carolina, you know, the, the coach is so controversial and, you mm. know, uh, that she said a lot of very distasteful things after her loss. And you're just thinking, man, but as you say, my boy, it, it just moves the needle. Everybody wants to know more and is talking about it. Tom Brennan's our guest, former coach and coach. I think it's unique because great players. I mean, you know, Gino Oriema and you knew Pat Summit and you go back to the history of the women's game. And now you have to add in the social media element. So everybody's got a phone. Everybody's got a camera phone. Everybody's now tweeting out the pictures of the hand gesture and all that, where that didn't exist 20, 30 years ago when maybe the gals were getting a little bit feisty and chippy too, but no one saw it at the level we're seeing now with all this media, right? Oh, well, yeah. You know, and, and again, Gino, 
I mean, I've known Gino for 40 years, of course, and, you know, he's always been up here while I've always been up here. And, uh, you know, he's never made himself a likable guy, not for a moment, you know, and us against the world. And, and then, you know, Daly comes in or Staley, whatever her name is, at South Carolina, and she does the same thing. Uh, you know, and now you got you got Mulkey, who, is, who apologizes to nobody for anything. And uh, so you just, you know, you don't have a lot of lovable characters that are they're heading up those programs. But that being said, the players are awfully good and uh, and certainly worth the price of admission. Tom Brennan's our guest. So let's move to the men's side. And, Coach, what do you think of NIL and the transfer portal? I haven't talked to you in a while. Big picture because John Calipari hasn't been there in a while, but his guys are going to the NBA. And then you see San Diego State and FAU playing a classic game. Uh, for all of your years as a player at Georgia to all the great coaching opportunities you've had in your career, do you like where the sport is? Are we going to see more wide-open tournaments in the future with less of the Blue Bloods? Uh, uh I don't like where it is, to be totally honest with you, JT, mm-hmm. but it is where it is, and it's not its not going back. And I do love the idea that uh, those two teams were uh, in the semifinal and one of them was going to get to play against a big-timer for the national championship. I thought that was tremendous. And, and again, watching the whole tournament, I never thought for a minute that uh, FAU didn't belong there. I mean, they played great all the way through, and... Uh, came back from being way down and uh, you know they were they were tremendous they were a tremendous story and and dutcher of course at san diego state mm-hmm. been an assistant for 27 years think about that and now ends up in the in the final game so uh it, it is really really a neat been a really neat tournament as far as as far as i've been concerned tom brennan's our guest coach how far do you go back with the hurley family to the sons and the father to see Bobby, one of the great, one of the greatest of all time. Period. A Mount Rushmore guard in the history of the NCAA tournament in the sport, and now Danny Hurley's coaching, and I can see their dad in him. The New Jersey connection, St. Anthony's, everything you know, and go back to your roots in Jersey and what you did as a player here. Tell me about Danny Hurley and his coaching style, because I just saw him in Vegas in the Elite Eight, and he was up the entire game. He was John at the refs, greeting his team at half court during timeouts. I love his coaching style. <laughs> you know what, JT? I was going to just tell you how much uh, how much I thought he's matured. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, my boy, when he was in Rhode Island, and and I loved his daddy, still loved his daddy to this day because he was the king uh, at St. Anthony's, and he always was gracious to me wherever, whether I was at Vermont or Yale. He he always. You know, he would have me come in. He, he never treated me like I was a second-class citizen, not for a moment. And I always loved the guy. I had so much respect for him. So, consequently, I rooted for the kids, you know. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and of course, uh, Bobby's career was beyond reproach at, uh, at Duke. Uh, and then when Danny started coaching at Rhode Island, I was here. So I watched him a lot, you know. And I just thought, dear God, this guy's going to have a heart attack. He, his head's going to blow yeah. right off his shoulders, you know. And, and I'm thinking, man, somebody got to talk to him. Somebody just got to tell him, you're a great coach. You know what you're doing. You just need to settle down a little bit. And I think that's what has happened. I mean, that's again, this is just my opinion, JT. I have watched him grow up uh, a little bit. I mean, he was a terror on referees, even when he got to, got to uh, Connecticut. But I think this year uh, th- there was a period where they, you know, they lost six out of eight or whatever. It was unimaginable mm-hmm. now when you see them that they did that. But – and, and I think he was hard to deal with, you know. And I, I think he finally got to the point where he realized, you know, I'm just hurting my team. I may have heard him say that somewhere. I'm just hurting my team by how I act. And, uh, you know, the last time, uh, I mean, this last weekend, he, he was he's just been great. And his team has been great. Yeah. 
Tom Brennan, as we wrap it up, former coach and a great radio host, a great talent, college sports radio. Coach, last thing, I'm, I'm having a difficult time in my mid-50s and growing up in an era with Ewing and Elijah Wan and uh, Tarkanian and the 89-90 Rebels. I'm here in Vegas. I, I'm having a difficult time because I think Ewing and Elijah Wan and Larry Johnson would slaughter, slaughter FAU and destroy San Diego State, but then, but then I go, hey man, I got to get with the times. I know these athletes are younger and they have better nutrition than those guys. I just can't get my head wrapped around it. You coached from the early seventies up into two thousand five. Where am I with this? Looking at the past because the past looks really good when we look at this championship game compared to the Ewing Georgetown years and Ralph Sampson at Virginia. How do I come to grips with this? Right, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm with you 100. percent my son uh, says to me often, JT, uh, you know when I appreciate you least, Dad, when you act your age. <laughs> that's what, but, you know, they had you, that team, Warberry, uh, you know, they had four pros, St. John's, when they had Mullen and, and, yeah, and Wennington. Georgetown had a couple of pros, you know. This, this Final Four doesn't have a McDonald's All-American. It doesn't, I don't know if there's pros. I guess UConn got a couple of pros for sure. But, mm-hmm. uh, but it, I, I see what you're saying. It's, I think that uh, the quality has gone down. There's no doubt about it. And uh, that's why I'm not in a big rush to, to, you know, move the tournament into 91 teams or whatever it is. So, but I'm with you 100%. And, uh, you know, and I'm, and, I, and I'm a lot, you're a kid to me. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I know what you're saying, my boy. You got it, Coach. Coach, thanks a lot for making time for me. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the championship game. Always a pleasure, my boy. Nice chatting with you. Same here. Tom Brennan, former coach here. I used to have him on years ago uh, back on my other show. And uh, nice to catch up with him again as we get ready for the championship game tonight. A little bit of a line movement from 7.5 to 7. Connecticut, a 7-point favorite. The total, 132. I like San Diego State to cover. I think Connecticut wins and San Diego State covers the spread. National championship game coming up in a few hours here. Listen to it at Lotus Broadcasting.